The text for this morning's sermon is taken from James 1, to verses 19 through 27, which we just read together. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 39, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the book of James is also known as the book of imperatives. In other words, it is full of commands. James uses the imperative tense throughout. He does that also in this text. For that reason, some people do not like the letter of James. For people generally do not like to be told what to do. They see James as someone who is somewhat legalistic, who comes with the heavy hand of the law. There is little gospel in this letter, they say. But a careful reading of this letter shows that that is far from the truth. There is lots of good news about salvation through Jesus Christ alone. James, however, is concerned about armchair theologians. He is concerned about those people who can wax eloquently about the contents of the scriptures and have a vast array of knowledge, but who don't put that knowledge into practice. It's all talk. He says, you must also walk the walk. Your leather-bound Bible needs shoe leather to go with it. And that's what I will speak to you about this morning. The theme is as follows, put God's word into practice. You do that by, in the first place, humble acceptance, secondly, careful listening, and then finally, religiously serving. And so the theme is, put God's word into practice, and you do that first by humble acceptance, second by careful listening, and thirdly, by religiously serving. First and humble acceptance. There are people, also amongst us, who are very particular about the right Bible translations. They want to make sure that they have God's word in all its purity. And they can get quite emotional about which translation is the best one. Now, don't get me wrong, Bible translations are important. But the one translation does not differ all that much from the other one. There is no such thing as a perfect translation of the Bible. And that is because we are imperfect and our language is imperfect. We can only really get an inkling of what God is saying to us. But what it does say to us is important and clear. In spite of the nuances of languages, he gives us the clear message of salvation. He gives us clear promises and clear rules to live by. For the rest, there are so many things that we don't understand. We do not fully understand the mind of God. But now, James is also concerned about Bible translations. But not about the words as such in the first place. No, he says, God's word must be translated into actions. 
in the first place, in your lives. And Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 and 3. He says there, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God, the Holy Spirit, says Paul, took his finger and reached right inside of you and engraved, engraved his own words in your heart. When and how does he do that? Well, he does that from the cradle to the grave. Most of us were brought up in Christian homes. As soon as you were able to understand, your parents spoke God's word to you. They did that in many ways and many contexts. They read to you from the Bible at mealtime and read Bible stories to you at bedtime. But they did much more than that. Time and again they reminded you in one way or the other that you're a child of God. And how important and how wonderful that is that God has claimed you. That he has written his name on your forehead because you have been baptized. And he also told you about your responsibility as member of God's household. And in this way, God used your parents as instruments in his hands. He also used others, your teachers, your minister, your elder. He also used your friends and your relatives and your siblings. They were all instruments of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord God continues to write his words on your heart. That's what happens in church. And that's what happens when you attend the study societies and when you read your Bible at meal times and at other times. It's beautiful the way that James writes about the word. For him, the word is active and alive. It's not a dead letter. In the passage just before the text in verse 18, he said that God gave us birth through the word of truth. He shows that God's word is living and active. Ultimately, the word of God is God himself. His words and his actions are the same. He spoke, as it says in Psalm 33, and it came to be. God uttered a word and as soon as he did, he also created. Through his word, he creates and he recreates. Through his word, he has created you. And when he created you, he spoke the language of love. And he also recreates you through his word. Because you are dead in your sins, you need to become a new being. God's word is mighty and wonderful. It's not a dead letter. It's important to understand James properly with regard to this. For if you don't, then indeed you will see nothing but imperatives, commands. And then you see God's word as nothing but a command, as a book of do's and don'ts. You have to do this and that, and then you'll be a child of God. No, God's word first of all created you. Through the word, you are given life. 
And not just any life, a beautiful and wonderful life. In this passage, James also mentions the law. But to James, the law and the word are virtually one and the same. And that is because that is also the way it is in Scripture itself. Think about the ten words of the covenant, which you heard once again this morning being recited. They begin by stating what God has done. And what has he done? Well, he has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. He saved them from bondage. And so even the law speaks about our redemption, about salvation. And so does the rest of the Bible. God's law and God's word are full of good news. It's wonderful that God gives us that book wherein he shows us that he gives us freedom, freedom to serve him. And that's why James also says that. He says in verse 25 that God's perfect law gives freedom. Brothers and sisters, and hope you're listening as well carefully, boys and girls, also you young ones, if you do not try to do what God says to you in his word, If you do not keep his laws, that is, his rules, then you won't have freedom. Without without God's law, your life will be chaos. Let me give you an example that illustrates this. When you drive on the highway, then you will see that it is loaded with lots of traffic. There are lots of cars and trucks and buses. But the highways are also loaded full with rules, with lots of laws. If you want to have freedom to drive down that highway, then you had also better obey those laws. The stop signs, the yield signs, the speed limit signs, etc. For what do you think will happen if people do not obey the laws of the road? It would be chaos, wouldn't it? People would be smashing into each other if there were no stoplights that people obeyed. And you'd be scared stiff to get in your car if there were no traffic laws. For you know that without them you will be harmed or perhaps even killed. And so all those road signs, those laws, give you actually the freedom of movement on the highway without fear. Well... That's also how the law functions. If you do whatever you want, then you're going to destroy yourselves. You're going to come to a big crash in your life. That is why God has put his laws into effect. They are there to protect you. They are there because God loves you. Because he does not want you, does not want to see you come to harm. He wants you to be free. And that's why he also plants his word in your heart. In verse 24, James speaks about the word that is planted in you. Whereas first he uses a gynecological term, now he uses an agrarian term. God's word not only gives birth to you, but is also planted in you. But once that seed is planted, then it needs lots of attention. The seed needs to be watered. It needs to be fed. 
And it also has to be the right kind of nourishment. The seed may not be choked out either by the weeds that grow up around it, for those weeds will be in competition with the plant. And the plant, that is God's word, also needs the right amount of sunshine. There are a lot of ingredients that go into the growing of the plant. And the same thing is true of God's word. God's word is like a plant inside of you. But if God's word is to be firmly planted in you and take root, then it must also find good, fertile soil. And do you know what the soil is, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? The soil is your heart. The soil, the heart, has to humbly accept that planted word. And the accepting of God's word is a life-changing event. For at that moment, the moment that you work it out within your own life, God's truth, God's compassion and mercy, but also his commands, they need to be worked out. They need to be nurtured. They need to be fed. That's why you have to hear God's word and listen to it. When you accept God's word, then you reject evil desires. And then you also reject the world. Then you get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, as it says in verse 21 of our text. And then instead you put on Christ. And such a life-changing event is not a one-time occurrence. No, it has to happen time and again. And that is why the adjective humility is used here. You must humbly accept it. You accept God's word not in weakness, but in meekness. But you have to understand what you are accepting. And the only way you can understand it is by carefully listening. We come to the second point. James says that everyone should be quick to listen. James writes these words within the context of the word of God. And so when he says that we must be quick to listen, he is referring to God's word. He says, hear what God, what God is saying to you. Some people have the habit of reading large passages of the Bible at mealtime. Study societies will also deal with large chapters in one sitting. Now the reading and studying of God's word is always good, even in large passages. But how much of it do you retain or understand? It's better to read small portions, to reflect on it, to discuss it, and if necessary to take a commentary to try to understand it better. Brothers and sisters, God's word is so rich. It is so full of content. Don't skim the service. Listen carefully to what it says, to what God is telling you. In a particular passage, in verse 23 and following, James says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, 
he will be blessed in what he does. In those days, they did not have mirrors like we do now. Their mirrors were polished copper or brass or silver, and they were mounted horizontally. In other words, you had to look down in order to see what you looked like. The mirrors of those days were not as good as the mirrors we have today. They gave only a poor reflection. And so you had to look very intently. But even though we have much better mirrors today, it's something we do every day as well, don't we? Every morning after we get up, we look in the mirror as we brush our teeth and comb our hair and adjust our clothes. We intently scrutinize our reflection. But then after that, we go about our business. We no longer think about what we look like. We forget about it. Well, that's what James has in mind here. He says, don't do that with regard to God's word. If you are a good listener to the, God, to the word of God, then you do not just look at it once in a while, but then you look at it all the time. You are constantly busy with it. You listen carefully to what it says. You allow God's law to show you what you look like as a human being. Not just once or twice in a day, but the whole day long, day in, day out. And then you realize how you must walk and talk. And then you also realize how you sin against God's law. If you continually look at God's word, at his law, then you realize also what a sinner you are and how you need to be redeemed from your sins. James also says that we must be slow to speak. The Lord has given you two ears and one mouth. There is good reason for that. He wants you to use your ears a lot more than your mouth. And again, he is speaking here about our relationship with God in the first place. When God speaks to you, don't interrupt him. In other words, don't come right away with your own opinion as to what he is saying to you. That's what we're like. We're prone right away to interpret scripture in accordance with our own likes and dislikes. We want to apply God's word in the way that suits us best. He says, don't do that. And don't do that either when others apply God's word to you. That is why he says that the words, that's why he adds the words that you must be slow to become angry. When do people become angry? When they're rebuked. Or when someone or something gets in their way. The minister and the elders encounter that too frequently. They apply God's word to someone and they become angry. They don't want to hear it because it doesn't suit them. People don't like to be rebuked. Yet, we have to rebuke each other all the time. Husbands and wives have to do that, as do the parents with their children. And sometimes children also have to put their parents in their place. They have to do that humbly, but it happens. 
And why do we do these things? Why do we rebuke one another? Well, if you do it for the right reason, and that is mostly the case, then you do that because you don't want your loved one to lead an ungodly lifestyle. When it comes to those who are quick to speak and slow to hear, James especially has in mind the preachers, those who handle God's word all the time. Ministers are called upon to speak. That's why I am up here as a minister, to speak God's word. Ministers have to speak from the pulpit, and they also have to speak to the people in their homes. But before they speak, they had better listen to the word of God. They may not toot their own horn. They may not come with their own opinions on the pulpit, nor in the homes of the people. The preacher has to be a keen student of the Bible. And that's why he also receives extensive training in order to be able to do that. A minister has to be a true servant of the word. As a matter of fact, that's what the word minister means. Did you know that? The word minister means servant. And then it completes, it is part of the phrase that says minister of the word. Servant of the word. That's what a minister is or should be. And the preacher should not become angry either when he has not listened to. An elder and a deacon, not either. No, he must be gentle, patient, and kind. For it is never about the preacher or about the elder or the deacon. No, it's always about God's word. If people reject God's word, then they do not reject the messenger as such. But then they reject God. And then God's wrath will rest upon them. And that's why James adds that man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. Such anger does not win anybody. It will only turn them away. A minister, an elder, a deacon has to let the Holy Spirit do the work. And you have to do the same when you rebuke others. You do it on the basis of God's word. It's not about us. It's about honoring God. Note well that James does not say that anger as such is wrong. That is why he also says in various passages in, in the scriptures that, our ang- that in our anger we should not sin. You may be angry, but only if it truly reflects God's anger. All other anger is wrong. But that can only be clear to you once you have truly listened, not only to God's word, but also to the, word, to the person who you think is sinning. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, listening is one of the most difficult things that man can do. And that's clear already what happened in paradise. God said to Adam and Eve that they should not eat of a certain tree. Did Adam and Eve listen? No. And that's where the trouble started. When we do not listen to God's word, then we sin. And sin, as James says elsewhere in this letter, when it is fully conceived, will kill you. A famous evangelist once said, Sin will keep you from the Bible. Or 
the Bible will keep you from sin. It's one or the other. When you don't listen, then you don't want God's word opened. It's only when God's word is open to you and you apply it in your life that then sin can be done away with in your life. It's important to listen to the word of God. It's important to listen to God. It's also important to listen to others. What exactly are they saying to you? And why are they saying it? Listen intently. Don't right away become angry. When people rebuke you, especially your loved ones, then usually they have the best in mind for you. And that's also true of the office bearers in the church. Even if they don't always say it in a way that you like, they have your well-being in mind. They want to keep you from harm because they want to come to you with God's word, with his law. We have to listen to each other in the same way as God listens to us. It says in the scriptures that the Lord God already hears us before we even utter a word. You say, well, that is because God is almighty and he alone is able to do that. Is that true? We can learn from him. He wants us to do the same. Of course, we can never listen in the way that God does because he is perfect. But nevertheless, you have to listen already before someone speaks a word. When people rebuke us, they don't always do it in the best way. It's done with imperfections. And that's because we are an imperfect people. Sometimes they rebuke us in anger or in a judgmental way. But if you truly listen to a person, then you understand what they are saying and why. Your loved one may say to you, for example, that you don't care about the others in the family because of your selfish behavior. That's a judgmental statement, and it's an absolute statement. And then right away you can get your hackles up and speak and defend yourself and speak about how you do care in many other ways, but it's not going to get you anywhere, is it? Why are they saying it? Find out. Ask questions. Why are you angry with me? What exactly have I done? When people rebuke us, they often do so in anger, and then they overstate their case in order to make their point. You always do this, or you never do that. And then you can either react to the exact wording, or you can react to why they are angry with you. There is a reason for their exaggerations. And sometimes a person may say one thing, but in his or her demeanor is saying something completely different. And that's why listening, even before they speak, is already important. You may say, I'm not angry. However, your tone of voice and your disposition show that you are. Or you may say that you're not depressed or worried, whereas your actions and other indications are that you are depressed. The Lord listens to us, even before we utter a word. He studies our moods, and he studies our other indicators. He looks at the whole picture and the total situation. That's also how we must listen. As I said, listening is difficult. 
But if you don't listen carefully, then, as James says in verse 22, you, de- you will deceive yourself. And if you listen carefully to God's word, then you also realize it's not about rules and regulations and laws. But then you understand what God wants from you. It is, Paul says, spiritually discerned. And if you listen carefully to him, then you also will have the right kind of religion. We come to the third point. James says that if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. The word religion has to do with going through a ritual, a form, or ceremony. There are many religions today, and they have many faithful and zealous followers. But you cannot call a religion Christian simply because it conforms to certain outward forms of ritual. In that sense, Christianity is not a religion. Because you are not a Christian because you follow certain rules. No, you are a Christian because of Christ. In chapter 3, James has a great deal to say about keeping a tight rein on your tongue. And so it is not necessary to go into that now, except to say that if you cannot keep a tight rein on your tongue, that then you can do a lot of damage. If you just say whatever pops into your head, then you break down a lot of relationships, including your relationship with God. And that is why James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He only uses those few examples here. He could use a lot more. But he emphasizes with this the theme that believing and doing must Go together. If you call yourself a Christian and go to church every Sunday and you don't care about your brother or sister in the Lord or about anybody else, then your faith is worthless. For then God's Spirit is not written in your heart and then you don't act in accordance with it. Then you don't live God's Word. Someone expressed this poetically. The Gospel is written a chapter a day by deeds that you do and by words that you say. Men read what you say, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, how do your days, how do your deeds show in the communion of saints? In what way are you a messenger of the gospel of good news? What is the gospel according to you? Amen.